listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. All right, welcome to episode number 63 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Daniel Ritchie. Daniel is the Director of Rugby at Brisbane State High School in Queensland, Australia. He spent his playing days at Norse Rugby Club in Brisbane, as well as a few years at Falkirk Rugby Club in Scotland, and a one-year stint as a player coach for Mariloma Rugby Club in Vancouver here in Canada. Along with his coaching and teaching duties at BSHS, he was manager of the Brisbane City U19 team that won the inaugural URC National U19 Carnival. It's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Daniel. Uh, yeah, thanks very much, Andy. It's a um, massive, uh, massive honour to, to have been asked. I, like I said, I really enjoy every episode and I've learnt so much. So really uh, humbled to have uh, had the invite. So thanks very much for that. Yeah, no worries. Well, you can... You can... Thank uh, Stuart Stuart Lyric uh, for that. He gave you a shout out uh, when I when I chatted to him, and uh, ever since then I've been kind of doing a bit of Twitter stalking to see what's what's going on in your life. So uh, say say thanks to Stu when you see him next. No, he's a good bloke, Stu. Oh yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> no worries. So um, yeah, we touched on it a bit there. What's uh, you you played most of your rugby with uh, with North North Rugby Club in Brisbane? Uh, what? What's a bit of a story of your playing days um, during that during that time? Um, well, I guess like everyone, sort of in Australia, you, you start playing when you get to high school, sort of in a in a serious, more serious context, I guess. Mm-hmm. So I went to a, a school in Brisbane called Padua College, which is a bit of a, I guess, a rugby league sort of nursery. Um, right. You know, it's produced um, like David Shillington, Fatty Vorton, Dane Carl, or Brad Watts, uh, Lindsay Collins, who's recently in the. Roosters grand final team. So yeah. it was probably more known for um, rugby league guys, but um, I sort of, yeah, let my rugby there. I was fortunate enough to have a, a coach called Brett Piconi, who's pretty well known in Brisbane club circles at the moment as a as a coach. And he sort of, um, yeah, he really, I guess, instilled or inspired that that passion. Um, mm. So I, fin- I finished school and, yeah, just did the natural thing, go down to your, your junior club or your local club, which was Norths. And, my uh, my grandfather, my dad, my uncle had all played first grade there, so it was a bit of a, a, a natural progression. Um, so, yeah, worked my way up through the Colts there and was lucky enough to play um, a bit of premier grade. Um, I was I was caught behind a, a couple of handy players for a few seasons. Um, <laughs> so I, I, really had to, I really had to work for it. But um, there was a guy that probably on your side of the world, and you're probably pretty familiar with, Shalom Suniola, who was oh, yeah. um, the American Sevens captain. Like, he's... Yeah. His skill set's just unbelievable. So it was, it was, uh, I guess, bittersweet playing behind him. He he was an exceptional player. Um, so yeah, I was I was lucky enough to yeah to get an opportunity to play premier grade. And um, following that, got an opportunity. Something I'd always sort of wanted to do was travel the world, I guess, through rugby. And um, I got an opportunity to do that um, in Scotland at Falkirk with uh, three of my other mates from from Norse, which was really good. And um, yeah, had a had a wonderful two years there. Learned learned so much and. You know, we were. It was a small town, so rugby wasn't. Um, I guess the top sport there. Football's pretty dominant in the yeah. central belt of Scotland, but um, no, the, the local boys just took us under our wing and looked after us so much. And it was a real sort of family sort of vibe. Everyone was sort of similar sort of ages, and um, yeah, it was like I said, uh, a really uh, great period. And then yeah, lucky enough to get an opportunity to go to Mariloma in Vancouver as a sort of player coach and. Again, Kitsilano Beach, beautiful, beautiful part of the world. And, um, yeah, the local boys, again, sort of took us under our wing. Um, I was lucky enough to – my younger brother's six years younger than me, so you're sort of never really sure if you get an opportunity to play with him. But um, we were fortunate enough that Mariloma allowed that to happen. So that's ah, probably cool. that's um, awesome. the highlight. Yeah, I've been able to play with my younger brother in Canada, which was – yeah, which was really, really good. And, you know, we, we coached in the local schools there and with the juniors and ah, – just – yeah – no, it was uh, it was really good. Sweet. So, and like, was that your first coaching experience, or were you, were you coaching before that in Falkirk, or how, how did you first kind of get into into the coaching role, and and what were those kind of early experiences like? 
Um, oh, I guess studying to be a teacher, you sort of um, naturally sort of fall into coaching. Yeah. Um, so I probably start. I probably started about 19 back at at the old school at Padua and started with the mighty grade fives. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and. <laughs> It's um, look. I think it's really you know you, you all sort of look back and cringe on you know your first sort of coaching experiences, but I yeah. think starting there really does have its place because mm. you, you know you go in with all these elaborate ideas and you know these flashy backline moves and, and whatever, <laughs> but um, when you when you finally understand that you know they're ten years old and it's it's not the World Cup, you, you really develop the ability to simplify things really well and. Um, I actually had so much fun coaching um, that year. And it's funny enough, there, there's a boy in that team called Tom O'Toole who yeah. is playing for All-Star in Ireland at the moment. Oh, and um, he's, he's probably not far off playing for Ireland. But, um, you know, he was a he was quite a big, overgrown grade five boy um, who had, you know, lots of skill, lots of talent. And it's just funny, like, you look back and you go, geez, that was – he was a 10-year-old and here he is running around in the pro fourteen for for Ulster and, you know, I'm sure it won't be too long. He's played for the Island under-20s as well. So, yeah, it's just funny when you look back on that. But um, So, yeah, I did, did that at, at Padua. picked up a couple of, um, I guess, Brisbane sort of club uh, rep coaching gigs along the way while you're playing. And um, then I sort of uh, – I worked as a boarding master for a bit at um, one of the great rugby nurseries in Australia, Nudgee College. And yeah, of course. That, that was sort of um, – uh, that was really eye-opening uh, as far as what GPS rugby is and um, just, you know, how much of a religion rugby is in some places. And mm. so I really sort of immersed myself there a bit as well. Um, and then when I finally got my first teaching job, we took that particular team um, down to the Armadale School Carnival um, yep. in country as well. Is that is that where you're from, Any? Yeah, oh, well, I spent a couple of years there. I actually, yeah, after talking to Nick Lay, um, I said I lived uh, – I lived like four blocks away from from Taz. I actually looked it up on Google Maps and I lived one block away. It was uh, right <laughs> kind of in my backyard there, but uh, I was in uh, grade two, three, and four there, so I didn't really. Uh, I was a, I was a leaguey back then, so I didn't really understand. The- yeah, uh, it's uh, it's a beautiful uh, campus, um, mm. but yeah, they they have a they have a pretty pretty prominent uh, primary schools, uh, I guess under twelve type carnival. So. Right. Um, yeah, so took a took a team down there, and um, you know we'd, we'd sort of done you know I guess a, a mini sort of prep preseason type thing for it, and and we ended up winning the carnival, and I think it was there that the penny probably dropped a bit there. I was like, oh, actually, I, I quite I quite like this coaching, and um, it's you know really good seeing something you've put a bit of effort into come mm-hmm. to fruition a bit. So yeah, that was probably the where the penny first dropped. Yeah. Um, and ironically, it was it was at that carnival where I sort of found out that you know I had an opportunity to go and play overseas later that year. So ironically, I left halfway through that year, but sort of always maintained contact with um, you know a couple of families and and kids um, from that team, and and even now sort of still in contact. So yeah, that was that was probably the first time it really sort of clicked with me. And then obviously overseas, I think in Scotland the the coaching. Um, development is is done exceptionally well there and right. once you're sort of around around that um yeah I, I guess yeah things really sort of started snowballing a bit and oh okay i could i could really uh yeah get used to this so yeah that's what, where it started what were, i guess what were some of the things in scotland that you noticed that they were doing really well in terms of coach development oh i just i think every on any given weekend um probably out of season you know, there was always some form of masterclass on, um, you know, from the Edinburgh or, or Glasgow coaches or um, people were really open to, to sharing. And um, I, I just think the, the structure of, you know, their level two and three courses, which is probably standard, you know, in most places around the world now. But mm-hmm. at that time, I, yeah, I really thought it was, um, it was just really thorough and well done. And I guess, there's probably a lot more coaching opportunities there in clubland, um, probably compared to, I guess, Brisbane. But um, yeah, at the time, I remember thinking, you know, I'm, I'm learning quite a lot, and the, um, I guess the feedback and uh, mentoring, I guess, that they seem to give a lot of young coaches over there is, yeah, is done really well. Oh, that's cool. That's uh, that's something something that uh, people could learn from for sure. And I think that mentoring point. Like, like we've all made some, we've all had some, uh, some horror shows of uh, sessions and our performance on the sideline during games. And I think that mentoring uh, piece is, is key. And, 
you know, if if you have someone who you can lean on or who can kind of tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, what what what's a bit of a review of that session or that game? Uh, that's going to make you. That's going to accelerate your learning as a coach for sure. Yeah, the yeah the mentoring thing is is uh, yeah something I'm a big believer in and something that um, yeah you try and uh, seek someone out as as much as you can I think. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So I talked a little bit about your evolution there as a coach. What are, what have been some like key kind of turning points in your coaching career so far? You mentioned Nudgy there, but uh, apart from that, what what would come at some of the the key kind of I don't know people you met, uh, books you read, situations in sessions or games that you that you feel really changed you as a coach, and and where'd you go from there? Um, I think um, I think early on, like I said a bit earlier, um, I think I was very like everyone. You get really excited about you know flashy systems or set plays mm. or you know things like that. So I think as time's gone on, and you know you hopefully have become a bit wiser, you realise just how important the focus on basic skills and, and defence especially is. Um, so that, that's something I've really sort of, I guess, changed a lot. Um, so, and I guess so you're now... Saying, you're saying under 10 kids can't do one three three one. No, probably not. No. Okay, good. Um, All right, sorry, I, go on. But uh, I think the biggest one now, and I think being a teacher, you know, you'd probably know this as well, but um, I think that man management and, and communication um, with players of, of this particular generation, I, I think is just so important. Um, so I really try and make a, a really conscious effort to, you know, check in with players, you know, be thorough with feedback, but also try and take the emotion out of, you know, when you've got to drop mm-hmm. someone who, you know, just tries their backside off. Um, but also I think, communication with you know assistant coaches or you know the team underneath these coaches uh, that's something that I, I think is just so important as well because um, if a player is going down um, you know you've got to make sure that the same message is received to them from both sets of coaches mm-hmm. and obviously you've you know you've got to try and develop uh, the other coaches that you're with as well so yeah communication and so everyone knows what they're doing so no one you know treads on each other's toes or you know is confused mm-hmm. so yeah I think that um, that communication between both your your existing staff and your players is something that I've um, yeah made a really conscious effort to improve. Um, but you you know you were saying about you know people I've met and um, I think the biggest thing is you know you continue to learn. But um, in my first teaching job, I I, um, I worked with a bloke called Damien Reedy who has uh, he's been a massive mentor for me, a massive impact on me. And cool. he he coached in in the Brisbane competition in the nineties and and had quite a lot of success. And he'd gone from sort of schoolboy rugby into club rugby and then he spent seven years coaching in Scotland as their in their sort of premiership um up there or the premier one it was called then mm-hmm. um and he was he was one who was really um he really encouraged me to to spend some time there and, and to go there and um he he actually when he was coaching Scotland he actually used to send a lot of his Scottish players to Norths and so that's there was sort of a you know a bit of a connection there before I'd actually met him but um, yeah, he, we we would sit there for probably two years every day at lunchtime and just just talk rugby and coaching oh, cool. and um, you know and he he'd met some really influential people in in Scotland and uh, I think he was the only sort of foreign coach at that time in the Premiership so he sort of he had a bit of a following there as well and um, but yeah so we we would sit there and he. You know, it's funny, I guess now people sort of think that, um, you know, the longer coaches go, uh, especially as they get older, that sometimes, you know, they might not stay current with the game. But he, he's probably one person that has always stayed really current with the game. So mm. um, just, yeah, that, that, that uh, continually learning from people and picking people's brains is, is something I've always tried to do, probably to the point of annoying some people, I reckon. <laughs> but um, yeah, we I all think, do. But, um, yeah, I think it's... I don't know. I've talked about it before on the show. Like, uh, I, I, that's part of the reason why I, I started a podcast was like, I just love talking about rugby. And I think, uh, there's a certain level of, I don't know, humility is not the right word, but you've just got to kind of accept that you don't know everything about the game and that there, there might be someone out there and there definitely is someone out there who knows way more than you about it. And, you, your job as a coach or, or of the players uh, around you is to find that person to make your players better. So I think it's a it's a key thing for for coaching is just like to constantly grow because once you once you stop doing that, you 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 may as well be running water, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's also a really um, enjoyable part too when you mm. sort of you know take a little thing that oh actually I've never thought of that before. So that's mm. yeah, they're things I, I really like as well. But yeah, you're spot on. The, the minute you think you know it all, um, yeah, you, you probably are better off just running water, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. Okay, so you're you're currently the director of rugby at uh, BSHS, as as I mentioned in the intro. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the school and the history of the rugby program there, and you know how how'd you how'd you come across that role, and and for those who aren't familiar with GPS rugby in Queensland, what what's what's the setup like there? Um, so yes, I've been I've been at State Off for two years now. Um, so yeah, I was uh, sort of came back playing, and I was sort of probably not enjoying it as much as I used to, and found myself probably analysing the training session itself rather than my individual jobs. So yeah. I guess the the penny sort of dropped a bit there. That uh, maybe <laughs> my playing days were coming to an end. But um, the school I was at, at the time, um, I was sort of approached by um, a couple of grade eleven students at the time who were playing in the first fifteen, and um, you know, we'd, we'd won that Armadale Carnival um, mm. years before and they sort of said, oh, you know, we'd, the first 15 job is going to be up at the end of the season, you know, would, would you put your hat in the ring for it? Um, and at that point, you know, they'd won, I think, two games in three years. And, right. Um, so they were sort of – these kids were really passionate about the game and they were real students of the game and, I, I you know, just had so much time for them. And um, I sort of felt for them a bit. They sort of – yeah, they, they wanted a bit of a change and – so um, a good mate and I, we, we sort of put an application together, did a bit of a three-year plan and, um, you know, we'd sort of worked in development squads before that. So we were pretty confident we knew what we had to work with and, and how we would go about things and all the rest of it. And anyway, so um, we went through the process and um, we we weren't successful and they'd, they'd reappointed the existing coaches and, um, you know, that that was obviously disappointing, but, mm. you know, that's, that's that's what happens sometimes and, um, so, you know, we sort of, we sort of sat there and thought, oh, you know, we can, we can kick cans for a bit or we can just, you know, get on with it. And funny enough, um, about three weeks later, I, I got a phone call from, from the state high director of rugby and he sort of said, look, um, you know, our first coaches are moving on. Um, I'm probably going to slide into that role. Um, you know, the Brisbane rugby community is pretty small, um, mm-hmm. when you sort of, when you sort of in it, I guess. And, um, he sort of said, oh, you know, I heard you might be looking to move and, at that time, I probably wasn't, but, you know, I spoke to a lot of people that I trust and, um, you know, they sort of said, yeah, look, I, I think you should you should definitely think about it. So in the end, so I uh, yeah, accepted the job, uh, you know, about five, six weeks later and, um, yeah, it was yeah, it was a great opportunity when, when it came up and it was actually on the back. State I had actually just won the first 15 premiership the year before, so, right. you know, no no pressure to, to come yeah. in on that. But, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, yeah, I've been here two years and just absolutely love it. But the school itself, so the GPS competition in Brisbane is, like, it, it, is, a, it is a massive beast. Um, it is super competitive. Mm. Um, you know, the programs that every school runs are, are just of such a really high standard and, um, you know, a lot of time and energy goes into it. Um, and I guess we're probably a bit unique in that um, all the other schools are, are private schools and, right. and boys' schools. Yeah. So we're, we're a, I guess, a selective entry public school um, with a very, very high academic focus. Um, but also the, the, I guess, sporting aspect of the school is it, it's really proud and it's got a really rich uh, rugby history so there's 3,200 students at the school so it's the oh, biggest school wow. in Queensland um, but it's yeah it's very very well known for its its academic prowess and um, its sporting history um, so State I've won I think 15 first 15 premierships um, okay. and there was a the, probably the most famous team is in 2009 um, oh. and the, they had a 11, 11 Australian schoolboys that year and and they're they're arguably um, talked about as the most dominant schoolboy side of the past decade. Wow. Um, just the, the scores they put on teams that year. And interestingly enough, um, uh, so Chris Sortier, who he's played for the Wallabies and he's mm-hmm. um, been in the Reds, probably not as much as he would like to. So he was he was a grade 10 student in that side. Um, yeah. There was Paul Paul Mill who plays for Samoa and he plays for uh, Stade Francais in, in France at the moment. Yeah. Um, and a guy called Curtis Browning who was in the red system yeah. for a bit and now he plays at Lyon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that was that was probably our, one of our most famous sides. There were you know, a couple of really, really good teams in the early 90s as well. Um, so they've 
we've got, I think, the second most amount of Australian schoolboy reps um, from all the schools in Queensland. So that's currently at 63, which is you know, something we're, we're really proud of. Um, last year's um, class produced uh, Jordan Pattaya, who's yeah. um, who's going really well for the well for the Reds and and for Queensland country and NRC and you know. I'd, Dare say he'll probably be half a chance of going on the Wallaby Spring Tour at the end of the year. So he was he was in Year Twelve last year, and and he's just exceptional talent. Yeah, and just really, being able to watch yeah, him, oh, yeah. just just watching him play every week is just it's just a real privilege. Mm. Um, and so we had him, and then we had um, last year Moses Alomil. Um, he's he's over at Stud Front State at the moment, yep. and uh, our other prop. Uh, Clinton Malula um, plays for the Hino Red Dolphins in Japan at the moment. So we had three boys from last year who are in professional systems within a year out of school, which is a you know it's a really nice thing for for boys and and families to be able to see you know these kids go on to things at such a young age. Yeah. Um, but you know some of our some of our great Wallabies, um, Peter Slattery, probably arguably our best Wallaby, yeah. um, Matt Tamua of recent times, Paul Carozza, Samu Karevi. Um, and then even for other countries, so we had the Jacob and Moses Rialini played for Fiji that went through the school. Um, we've got uh, Willie Tupo and a guy called James Moore who are in the Japanese train-on squad at the moment. Willie's played about eight or nine tests for Japan and obviously for the Sunwolves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for, um, I guess, cricket tragics, um, I guess, you know, big cricket fans will know Ian Healy and uh, Michael Kasprovich pretty well. Oh, legends. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah, so obviously Ian Healy, one of the greatest wicket oh, keepers of all course. time. Yeah. Um, so he was actually a flanker in the first fifteen at Stay oh, really? High in the uh, in the eighties. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's fantastic. I'm, That's I'm where he gets he was, his edge uh, from. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm told he was a very uh, ferocious <laughs> flanker. Oh, and great. then Michael Kasprovich. Michael Kasprovich, funny enough. So he was an Australian schoolboy rugby union player. He was an but eight, he, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I think I heard that somewhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then in that same year, representing Australian yeah. schoolboys, before before that year ended, he was playing first class cricket oh, for the Bulls. Amazing. So wow. yeah, and that's you know, State High's sort of known for, I guess these well, you know, back then and probably the eighties and nineties, these multi sport guys who mm. you know could have tried their hand at anything and been successful. So yeah, the the rich history is what really what I really like about the place, and and I guess in the role I'm in now, trying to connect the past with the present is is something i really enjoy seeing come together particularly when you when you rattle off some of those names you oh, sort of go right. wow yeah. that's yeah it's pretty cool but i mean every school in the gps has got that you know mm. everyone's got a, a a proud tradition and history of producing players and um and that's what's really cool about the competition as well you know you can go to you know any field on a saturday and not only will there be you know lots of students and parents there but there'll also be the former students that have gone mm. through and come back um and that's yeah that, that's really good like you know you, you go to Nudgee and um you know there's Sean McMahon presenting jerseys and um things like that so you know that's like I said that's a real feature of the competition is these guys want to give back because the schools gave them so many opportunities mm. um to to be where they are now so yeah it's that that giving back is is a really nice sentiment in the competition cool yeah so you mentioned there like it's it's a it's most of GPS rugby is private boys' schools. Um, so you as a state high school, co-ed high school, it's a co-ed high school, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. So so that's obviously got some challenges but also some strengths. What are, what are some of those and, and how do you kind of tap into them from a coaching point of view to, to really kind of emphasise them? Um, well, look, uh, you know, we might have 3,200 students but, you know, because there's – so much of a landscape of things that go on in the school. Um, you know, rugby's just one of many things that, that go on in the school. So mm-hmm. we we only have about 230 boys that play rugby. Um, right. So that, that equates to about 12 teams. So an A and a B team in sort of each year level, um, whereas every other school probably has, you know, anywhere between four and seven sort of teams in an age group. Yeah, so yeah. Um, we, we don't have the playing numbers and we, we sort of – we tend to have a um, – I guess a bit of a gap between our our top end kids who have you know played a lot of rugby or rugby league and you know mixing them in with kids that have never played before or, mm. or played very limited rugby. So you know with, when you've only got two teams in an age group, you've got to be really conscious of um, upskilling those kids who are newer to the game, but yeah. also extending 
um, those top end kids and, and keeping them engaged and making sure sort of, you know, they don't get bored and, you know, but they're obviously making sure that they're developing as well. So, um, that, that's a, that, that's a good challenge, I think, from a coaching perspective. Um, but with, with that also comes, um, we, like we don't pay coaches. Um, okay. so we, we, we have to engage, uh, what I call good, good rugby people. Um, you know, but we have, we have parents, we have old boys, we have some staff, um, and then yeah, we just have people who, you know, might be pretty aspirational and um, want to be a part of something. So, um, you know, they they give up five months of their time, like you wouldn't club rugby, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, that that, that can be a challenge because sometimes you have a bit of a, a turnover of coaches, which you know, which naturally happens. But, um, you know. I, I think that well, the, the staff that we got this year was just incredible. You know, we had a, a mix of people that had coached premier grade, you know, underage rep staff, um, school teams in the past, things like that. So, yeah, we have a good uh, range of, of coaches. Um, I guess the, the selective entry part to the school, that that probably allows us to be competitive. And, you know, when you're doing that, you've got to make sure that um, obviously the, the students are a good fit for the school and that the school's a good fit for them and, mm. Um, as I said, you know, we've got a very high academic focus, um, which I think really allows us to um, turn out sort of really well-rounded young. Um, you know, we, from a school perspective and a rugby perspective, you know, we, we really drive high standards around conduct and mm. uniform appearances and, and having a balance as well with study. So um, it's, yeah, so look, it's it's really good and in, in terms of, um, you know, when they finish, they sort of, yeah, you know, I, I guess for the guys at that top end, you know, you hope that you know if there's an opportunity for them to go on and play professional rugby, that that's one avenue. But also, you know, the university pathway or the um, you know job prospect pathway as well is, you know, hopefully that we've done enough as a school that when they finish, that they'll be successful and and whatever they want to do. So yeah, yeah, that's um that that's a really good part of it as well. Cool. Well, you you mentioned you know, a relatively high turnover of, uh, of coaching staff there year to year. What, what have been some of the strategies that you found have been helpful to, to kind of assist with that when you have a new person coming in? Um, oh, look, I, I think, you know, constant communication and um, checking in with them and, you know, seeing how you can support them in what they do. And, I mean, most of the coaches that do come in um, that have, you know, pretty experienced, they, they don't need – a lot of help and support. They're pretty self-sufficient, but um, I, I think it's important to to make sure they feel like they're um, you know looked after and valued. And um, yeah. in a small in a small program, you know, when you've only got twelve teams, um, that's probably pretty easy to do than than probably some of the bigger programs on a more regular basis. Um, so yeah, just just trying to make sure that they feel really part of it. Um, and I think as well when they come in and and see you know the the kids and and they are great kids. And I think when they they see how they perform on a weekend and just their conduct. I think um, that's also a, a bit of a draw card that they're working mm. with good kids as well. So, yeah, that's um, that's probably about all the arsenal you have really to try and uh, keep them yeah. that and a couple of good polo shirts and, and caps and that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, we all love we all love kit, don't we? Yeah, so, no doubt. yeah, you try and look after them that way. Ah, sweet. Yeah, and and yeah, I couldn't I couldn't talk more about that as well. Like having kids who who are focused and disciplined and listen like the school I'm at is exactly like that. When, when the coach talks, they're listening and they're, they're ready to go. They turn up on time and it makes all the difference. It, it takes, if you can, if you can take the discipline and the, the behavior management out of coaching for, for coaches who are not teachers day to day, uh, you're going to, you're going to make their, their lives a whole lot more enjoyable and, more often than not, the the school drives those those kind of values, and and like you said, the the kids you recruit or the kids who enter that school kind of fit the school, so it makes the job a whole lot easier for the coach. Uh, absolutely, and you know some some schools subscribe to you know only wanting teachers to you know coach A teams and things like that, and mm -hmm. and you know that, that that has its place because you know you probably engage the kids a bit better because you're seeing them day to day as well as you know after school at training. But mm -hmm. like you say, if if the school you know is the ones driving that that culture of discipline and and respect and things like that, it, it probably doesn't matter who comes in and coaches them and you know how much contact time they have with them if. Mm -hmm if all that foundation is set in the school grounds, um, which is, yeah, certainly what we try and work towards. But, you know, as you know, not um, 
to have a blanket rule to say that you know only teachers can coach you know it's it's not really realistic is it no, because no. you can have the the PE teacher who's a great bloke and yeah I'll, I'll look after that team but you know if they can't provide that um, technical and detailed um, sort of coaching then yeah the kids sort of don't matter how good a bloke they are they probably if they don't feel like they're learning something um, they tend to disengage a little bit sometimes yeah for sure all right cool so um What's 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 your day to day work look like as director of rugby at BSHS? You you got uh, obviously teaching duties along with coaching duties. How's how's that play out? Yeah, so um, yeah, I've got a I've got a full teaching load. So I yep. teach uh, maths and science to to year eight, um, okay. which is which is yeah, which is pretty demanding. Um, but you know, around that, you know, you you're doing anything from well, you know, term one, you're sort of setting up your your first 15 sort of squad pre-season um, with, with that coaching staff. Term two, you're, you're doing everyone's sort of pre-season, making sure they're prepared and training, um, you know, trial games, things like that. And then term three, you're in the season. So in the season, week to week, you know, I've got a I've got like a checklist and you go through everything, you know, have I collated results, have I got the fixtures sorted for this week? Have I got the referees sorted for the home games? Yeah. Have I got the first aid sorted? So, yeah, you're sort of going through those sort of logistical things. Um, but also I sort of – I do sort of a mini review at the start of the week to all the coaches and just go, you know, great results over the weekend. You know, these teams were victorious. Um, over what I observed on the weekend, um, these are some areas I think we should focus on at training this week. Um, you know, we've got – this particular school this weekend who, you know, they're always going to be very good at the breakdown. So we've got to make sure that, you know, our ball presentation is is on point and, and our, um, you know, our effectiveness at the breakdown or something like that. Um, so you sort of send that out. But I don't try and be too prescriptive to our mm-hmm. coaches. I sort of, um, you know, let them run their own show. But, um, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so you're doing that, um, responding to emails from from parents, which, uh, as you know, Andy, is a real perk of, of teaching sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, so yeah, so you know, dealing with that and um, you know, justifying little Johnny's selection in the B team and yeah. um, things like that. But um, fortunately, I don't get too much of that, which is yeah. which is quite nice. And yeah. fingers crossed, it it stays that way. But yeah. um, and then the other the other side to to that week to week is one of the bits I really enjoy of the role is my like, coaching is what I like, and um, so I coordinate mm. and coach the under thirteen age group. Oh, great! And um, so I, I really enjoy that because, you know, they're, they're so enthusiastic and, mm. you know, they, um, you know they're, they're new to the school. So you sort of, you know, when they come in, you sort of try and look after them and set them in good habits and then pass them on to someone else. So, mm. um, and, and the group the group I work with this year were um, oh, they're a really good group, a real funny group as well. But, you know, they knew where the, <laughs> you know, the game switch was and yeah. things like that. So, yeah, they always – it was never it was never boring. Um, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, so that's, that's a nice little sort of mini out for me, I guess, from, you know, all the logistics and admin and, you know, some programs within GPS are are so big that the director, you know, doesn't really get a chance to do much coaching because there's so much day-to-day logistics stuff. So yeah, again, being in a smaller program, it, yeah, it does allow me to still do a fair bit of coaching, which I, I really enjoy as well. Yeah. Well, I think that's key. I think, uh, you know, you, um, if anyone follows, Kind of Stuart Lancaster's career, like his his big thing about going back to Leinster was, uh, I just want to coach again, you know. And I think if you yeah. if you just step away too much from coaching and and into that managerial role, you 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 lose touch of why you were there for the first place. And it's you know you love the contact with the with the athletes and you love the game and you love the you know the the strategy and the fun of upskilling, you know, athletes. So I think I think that's great that you're, you're doing that uh, and making sure you do that. And yeah, I guess what you're saying there with yeah with Stuart going from England to Leinster, and it probably really showed in his uh, in his season um, mm. with Leinster, and sure. and yeah, just he seemed like he was probably. Um, not as on edge as you would being a head coach of, of England. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That's sort of, yeah, why you do it in the first place. Sometimes as you move up, you sort of, you get less opportunities to do that hands-on stuff. Yeah, so you're moving on then. You, you mentioned you had a, you know, a couple of, couple of good good teams this year. You had a really, really successful uh, season. Um, what, what uh, give, give us a bit of a summary of... Um, what kind of success the school had and, and what do you think were some of the key ingredients to that success? 
Um, so yeah, so we, we were lucky enough to um, to to win and share a couple of premierships in the in the in the juniors. So our our twelve A, thirteen A, fourteen A, and fifteen A teams all all won premierships, which um, yeah was was really pleasing and um, you know fantastic results. Um, three of those were were shared premierships, uh, which gives you an idea of. Um, how competitive all those competitions are. So only one of our teams um, were uh, undefeated premiers. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing with school seasons because they're so short. Every weekend's a grand final. Right. So you just you need so many things to go your way to win a comp. And um, we were lucky enough this year that um, yeah we had a few things go away. So you know from from various times in the season. So our under twelves and our under fifteens, for example, um, there's a bit of a representative. Um, competitions that go on during the season so sometimes yeah. if you if you provide a lot and all the other schools are in the same boat but if you provide a large amount of players to some rep teams um, means you're disadvantaged a little bit on Saturday so the under 12s under 15s is is quite hard so um, yeah there were weeks where you know we were missing anywhere between four and eight really key players in those teams and yeah. um, like I say other schools are in the same boat as well so yeah you, you need that to sort of fall your way and um, you know, obviously injuries, you know, and particularly with, you know, things like concussions and head knocks, like to miss, mm. to miss two games in a nine game season is a lot. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, you need that to fall your way. So yeah, we, we had a bit of, we had a bit of good fortune with that, but like our under 14s, for example, by the end of it, they were, they had 12 players in the age group out. Um, you know, eight of those were, were A players. So, oh. um, yeah, you really, you really do. And, and depth, Obviously, um, with us, is it's probably not as thorough, mm. um, but, you know, it's sort of an all-hands-on-deck type thing. So, yeah, we, we, we were fortunate enough in those areas to sort of get through there. But, oh, look, I think the big reason we were successful in the juniors this year was was the coaches that we had. Um, like I say, the, you know, just good rugby people that, that had been engaged and some people didn't even have a connection to the school. And, um, you know, across the whole competition in, in GPS, you know, there's there's excellent coaches, um, yeah, particularly at first 15 level. And um, But, yeah, the, the people that we got this year, um, you know, they were brilliant. They did a great job with the kids, um, you know, engaged them really well and, um, you know, just, just instilled, you know, basic fundamentals and let the boys do the rest sort of thing, which was which is quite good. So, yeah, that, that I think was good. The other thing too we did was, um, as I said earlier, engaging sort of those old boys and yeah. getting them to understand what it means to play for state high and, and, and what that crest means and, you know, the people that have gone before them as well. Like we had, um, we had a guy called Josh Afu who – Josh played 16, 17 tests for Tonga and, you know, had a pretty good career in, in England and France and Japan and he's now a development officer at, um, at the Reds and, you know, when he got that job, he sort of, you know, got in contact and um, he was he, – he spoke at our pre-season launch and – um, you know what he what he gave them and, and what he spoke about how how much state high gave him as well um, it sort of really sort of rammed home to the boys oh you know I've got a really big opportunity going to a school like this so just mm. just trying to get them to understand you know what it means you know same with our first 15 jersey presentations this year some of the people we you know we had this year and unfortunately with with my uh, day-to-day um, activities on a Saturday I don't always get to see the jersey presentations but you know, we had like Jacob Rowlini came in, um, Peter Slattery came in, um, you know, guys like that who were, you know, played at the highest level, um, who wore the same uniform and same jerseys as these boys. Yeah, I think it slowly sunk in what it means. And, you know, I think that was probably really reflected in a lot of our teams winning close games um, because, they, you know, they play for Jar and, you know, they, they have a better understanding of, of what it means. Yeah, that's cool. And, you know, by the sounds of it, it creates uh, some – uh, a good healthy depth chart moving forward. If you've got, you know, all those teams you mentioned were, you know, younger age grades, so uh, that's going to push through to to your first fifteen. Yeah, ho- hopefully. Um, but you know, like I said, the, the competition is just so competitive, and you know, everyone puts so much time into their programs that yeah, you you can't get complacent at all. Mm. Um, it, it's funny when you go through the other schools and and some of the caliber of people coaching their teams is just incredible, and that's probably why the competition produces you know so many brilliant athletes. Um, mm. So you know, you've got guys like Shane Drum who you know played for. England and, and the Reds, you got Phil Mooney who who coached the Reds, you got Andrew Scottney who's um, done a lot in Japan and 
in Australia. Paul Warwick, who, you know, had a very distinguished career at Munster. You got Todd Ikefu. Um, you know, guys like that are, are coaching the next generation um, of people coming through. And even with our first 15 coaches, um, you know, our boys are so fortunate to have these these type of people. So mm. our head coach, for example, um, so Pat Byron, so he he was Eddie Jones's assistant at Suntory for four years. And mm-hmm. I think I think anyone who can survive four years under Eddie um, <laughs> must have some pretty redeeming qualities. Um, <laughs> no and, doubt. And it's – and he, like, he, he's a he's a teacher on staff, and he's an old boy. So again, it, you know, it means a lot to him. And mm-hmm. you know, then we've got we've got um, Mark Bartholomew's, who you know, you talk about the great um, Australian rugby era, and you know, he was part of that those Brumby sides that were so successful. And um, he's he's a third generation state high student himself, um, and he's got four daughters who are all going to come to the school as well. So oh, he's cool. um, he's he's an old boy first. He's a He's a parent and he's a, you know, former international and, um, you know, just the, the knowledge and wisdom that he imparts on them, on our boys is is just top quality. And then we've got Fletcher Dyson as well, who, um, you know, obviously played um, for the Wallabies in the front row and um, he's a he's a parent as well. And, you know, these guys, they do it for nothing and they're just, like I say, they've, they've got a they've got a link to the school as either a former student or a parent and, um, you know, what they're, what they're passing on to our kids is, um, is just high quality and, um, I know our boys really benefit from it, and you know, like I say, across all schools, you know, the the, the quality of coaching is just exceptional. So yeah, you can't you can't get ahead of yourself at all. But yeah, certainly celebrate the success. But yeah, you you got to continue to work hard. No, that's cool. It's a pretty good crew you got there by the sounds, but that's pretty exciting. So um, yeah, you as I mentioned again in the in the intro, you were also involved in a uh, under nineteen rep program this year. Tell us a little bit about that, and and what are what are the hopes for some of the athletes moving forward in in that program, and and a little bit also about the just the the genesis of that program. Yeah, so the the, the URC as it's known was the uh, the national under nineteen carnival this year, and um, it was uh, I guess billed originally as you know being the NRC, but for under nineteens. But mm-hmm. um, what they did was they. Uh, the tournament ran for a week down in Canberra and everyone was sort of placing the AIS and, you know, it, it was such a brilliant concept and it's probably something that Australian rugby's needed for, for quite some time because mm. um, I guess the landscape of picking the Australian under-20s team previously had been so difficult and, you know, so many arguments about, you know, what's the best model and I think what they did here where they, they picked it at the end of the club season, um, you know, there were two teams from Queensland, two from New South Wales, um, one from Canberra, Melbourne, Perth, and then a Barbarian side for people that they you know may have missed out on some of those other teams. So cool. they really they really cast the net far and wide, which mm-hmm. was really good. And um, you know, with the team that that we were in Brisbane City, uh, we actually had a number of guys who had played seconds or thirds at school um, and were sort of late bloomers. Right. And you know, cool. some of those some of those some of those guys are, are now going to be in the wider Australian under twenties training squad. So it, awesome. it really. Um, it really gave boys an opportunity who, you know, may not have been on, you know, the radar, so to speak, um, at school mm-hmm. and, you know, rewarded for, you know, obviously staying in rugby, playing club rugby and, um, you know, getting opportunities and rewards through doing that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a brilliant carnival. It was really well run. Um, and the group that we had was, was just sensational. Um, and that probably played a really big part in, why we were successful and that, you know, the coaching staff. So, uh, and again, something that Queensland rugby did really well was they stipulated that uh, um, the two Queensland teams had to be coached by um, premier grade coaches from Brisbane. So right. again, these boys, these boys were getting, you know, well, well coached and um, it was also, you know, I guess a bit of a pathway for the premier grade coaches as well. So yeah, I think what they've done and, and how they've changed that landscape um, of the Australian under-20 selection is, is just really, really good. So I guess the outcomes of that now is um, well, they're in the process of or have named, a, I think, a 60-man train-on squad that mm-hmm. will attend a series of camps and then you know they'll eventually cut that um, for the Junior World Cup next year. But um, the other side to that is you know that guys may have missed out on the Australian under-20s squad initially, but you know they can be added in at any time. But they can also be added to one of the state academies now, which, right. which again, I think is is really good. So, yeah, there were lots of key outcomes from that carnival. And, um, you know, it's it's only going to get better. It was in its first year. But, 
um, yeah, it's only going to get better each year, I think. Um, and it's just, like I say, I think there probably used to be a bit of a perception that, you know, if I wasn't seen at school, um, I sort of have missed the boat a bit. So this um, this really does reward, you know, the, the toilers in club rugby who yeah. might be a bit of a late bloomer or just needed an opportunity. So, um, yeah, brilliant carnival. Um, you know, they did such a great job. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes and how it translates into – results for the the junior wallabies next year yeah i, th- I think that's great and i think uh uh it's, it's a you know if rugby's anything it's a late specialization sport so this is this has got to be the route you go when it comes to athlete identification so i think that's i think that's huge and you know there'd be even people who miss out on that u20 kind of window that then Someone like um scott farty for example um yeah never, never played age grade rep but like is arguably the best six going around for for you know that should be selected for a Wallaby jersey. So I think I think that's a good strategy. And you were there as a manager, but no doubt you had your notepad out and were taking down lots of information uh, with your coach's eye. What what were some of the key key learnings you took away from that experience? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I definitely did take a lot away. Um, like I said, the the coaching staff I worked with were you know very very good and. Um, I think the biggest thing was how to prepare a team um, for a carnival type competition as opposed yeah, to a season. Eh? So yeah. it is. So we like we, you know, you have to bring the group together really quickly, um, and and that was that was sort of partly my role as well is is sort of doing a bit of that stuff and driving standards that the coaching staff had, had set. But mm-hmm. um, just you know, concentrating on you know simplicity. Um, this is what we're doing in attack. This is what we're doing in defence. Um, and and the short turnaround as well. You know the the review preview aspect. Um, mm-hmm. I really took a lot away from from that. Um, all three of our coaches were you know very very experienced in that. Um, what was and what yeah, were some of the things they did in that area? Oh, just um, well the games would finish and they'd get uploaded onto a shared space. And so you know um, that you know, Damo, who was our head coach, he sort of looked after the attack and. Pat looked after the defence and then uh, Ford's coach, Kalevi, looked at their set piece. And so they'd all watch the game individually. They'd sort of come back and compare notes. And um, then, you know, they'd identify probably one or two things in the opposition in, in each of those areas and, and look to, you know, exploit that or, or things like that. So, um, yeah, just that that detail um, and, you know, not trying to overload players. I mean, the, the yeah. type of players we had in the group were – you know, you had your overthinkers. So you had, you know, a couple of boys who would turn up to these sessions with notebooks and write everything down. You had some guys who were staring out the window, looking at the <laughs> butterfly. And yeah. then you had a couple of guys who, you know, that they weren't writing things down, but they were taking it all in. And mm. and then you had some players who wanted to add their own, you know, two cents worth as well. So, mm. um, yeah, just that ability to be um, direct and concise, um, which, you know, I, I guess is – I guess a bit of a given, but um, yeah, watching them do that was was really good. And you know, some of the other teams in the competition would, um, you know, they'd go out for field sessions on their days off, and whereas we sort of focused more on the recovery yeah. and making sure the boys yeah. were in a good headspace, and you know, getting our, our physio who was, you know, she was probably our, our highest working staff member. She mm. was right. Oh, here's the list. Here's who's getting what, and um, so I think yeah, just getting them in a good headspace in that short turnaround was really important. But I mean. You learn in those carnivals too that the first game um, that can really make or break your week. So oh, we, we played the force. Absolutely, we played the force first up, and and to be fair, we we probably should have lost that. Um, mm. And we got home, you know, basically on full time. But after that, like our week went up and their week went down, and mm. you know, they I think they ended up finishing seventh. But that you know that wasn't a reflection of um, you know their ability or, or their performances. I, I thought. They're a really, really good side. But, um, yeah, that, that first game in a carnival, you have to win it. And it doesn't matter whether it's by a point or five mm. tries. you just got to get the win. And that way you're sort of feeling better about yourselves. And um, So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That emotional energy um, that you get from that. Yeah, because it is, it is, you know, as the days go on, it becomes the pressure mounts a little bit that you've got to win the next game. And yeah. so, yeah, so, yeah, carnival, carnival rugby as opposed to season rugby was, yeah, it was very eye-opening. Yeah, um, I think I think you raised some good points there because a lot of the rep rugby I've I've coached while being over here in Canada is it's all it's all uh, tournament rugby. It's let's get four games in a week, 
And if if ever there's a sport that is not designed for tournament <laughs> play, it's it's fifteen aside rugby. And I think you raised a really good point there that uh, the focus at that point needs to be on recovery. It's you can you can take a team out onto a field and make them worse really quickly, but you yeah. can't make them better. Um, you can't make them much better than what you've already got them at. So. You know that that's a good lesson, I think, for for coaches. If you are in a tournament, you know your work's done by the time you've got your feet on the ground. Like, especially if you've had to fly there or your bus ride, you're recovering from from the very start. So you've got to you've got to keep that in mind. And you know the, the players you have and the strategy you have is what you have. And if you if you're gonna go too hard on them, it's gonna affect performance. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what, what do they call them in Canada? Jamborees? Oh, yeah. Jamborees? That's a, like that, yeah, that's for the younger kids, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, – I've been involved in a few uh, over here, like for, for senior rep stuff, and it's horrible. Yeah. When you play <laughs> when you play two games in three days, it's – no one enjoys oh. that. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because our – the you know, the Queensland schoolboy selection – um system here you play back to back three days oh, in a row and you, you know by the third day you're having to call blokes in and mm. sit blokes out and things yeah. like that whereas this carnival was so good because it was play a day rest a day play a day rest a day yeah. and and i think that was really good and um the you know the junior wallaby staff were there and you know they explained the why we were doing that sort of style and because mm-hmm. at the at the um, getting them used to playing and then, okay, I've got a short turnaround. Mm. How do I need to individually recover and, and then prepare and things like that? Mm. So, yeah, it was a really – you really felt like you are in a professional system for a week and I think right. a lot of the players felt that as well. And But, yeah, like you say, recovery, um, just so important uh, when you're playing short turnarounds. Mm, for sure. All right, that's awesome, man. All right, well, we we always end the show with the same final four questions. When when you were a kid growing up in uh, in your part of the world, who were who were some of the the players running around that you really looked up to? And um, oh, look, you know, you're always you know diehard Red supporter and, and Wallabies and things like that. But I, I guess as a as a young uh, halfback, um, there's probably two guys that that really, I guess, inspired me. And the first one was um, the late Eust uh, van der Vesthuizen. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That I, I spent hours trying to uh, mimic his dive pass. Um, <laughs> I got I got I got plenty of practice at playing behind um, packs that you know, didn't quite go forward at school. So um, I thought I felt that the dive pass was uh, maybe the most effective way of of clearing that ball really quickly. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I just love the way he, he carried himself and, and the way mm. he played. And um, yeah, he was quite tall for a halfback, and I'm definitely not tall. But um, yeah, he was he was quite different, probably to a lot of the other halfbacks yeah. around the world. Um, and, and the other one was was um, uh, Jacob Rowlini, um and All his right, brother yeah. Moses. Yeah. So when they were playing for the Reds, you know, that I was just in awe of. You know, he just had so much flair, and you know, his pass was just, just so crisp. And Dad actually played with. Um, uh, Tito Rellini, their dad, uh, in Brisbane in the 80s. And, you know, dad always used to talk about, you know, how tough and uncompromising he was. And, you know, everyone respected him, but also probably feared him a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, so I was always sort of pretty familiar. And then when, you know, Jacob and Moses sort of came on the scene a bit, you know, dad would say, oh, that's, you know, that's Tito's boys. And um, I remember, I think I was last year at Colts and Jacob was about 37, 38, um, still playing third or fourth grade for East and, you know, he just still had it. And, yeah, so that, that sort of silky sort of halfback skills mm. is something I was always in awe of. Yeah, it reminds me of someone like um, like Steve Merrick when he was, uh, he, was, yeah. he, was he was playing around uh, my local area when I was, uh, you know, 18, 19, 20, something like that. And he was, he was older, obviously, but uh, you watch him play and, you just jaw drops to the ground. It was uh, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. And what about now? Who who are some of the players you like uh, like watching run around? Um, probably one guy in particular I really like is um, is Finn Russell, um, the yeah. Scottish five eight. Um, yeah. So Finn Finn actually played for Falkirk the year before I got there. Right. Um, and I was I was lucky enough to play with his older brother Harry, who's top bloke. Um, but the the story goes, Finn Finn got picked up for the Scotland under twenties uh, almost by accident. Um, that actually turned up to watch someone else, and and they saw Finn play, and they sort of went, oh, geez, who's that bloke? And 
the, the one one Scottish bloke said he goes he's everything Scottish rugby isn't at that time. They said he didn't go to a private school. He's not a big sort of um, you know gym junkie yeah. type player. Um, you know, super skillful. Um, you know, plays you know heads up footy and off the cuff. And mm. um, yeah, his, his skill set is is just incredible. And cool. he's a very laid back sort of guy. So yeah, he and I think playing in that French competition will really suit him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure he's a massive loss for Glasgow, but um, yeah, that, I think yeah, that French sort of style I think will really suit him. But yeah, he, he's someone I I really enjoy watching, even if it's sometimes at the expense of a a Wallaby defeat. But um, <laughs> they're our they're yeah, our bogey team, man. They certainly are. Yeah, they yeah. certainly are. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And uh, what about coaches? Who are who are some of the high profile coaches going around uh, that you like what they're doing? Oh, again, probably two. Um, the, the first one's uh, Joe Schmidt at Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his sure. what he's achieved speaks for itself. But um, you know, I like that he's you know he had that teacher background. Yeah. Uh, he went from school footy, you know, into club and provincial rugby, and mm-hmm. you know, his his attention to detail when you hear him speak, you know, um, he's just so thorough. Um, and I heard a story I think when he was first at Leinster, and um, I think someone. Someone gave Brian O'Driscoll a really poor pass and he, he dropped the ball. And so Joe sort of, you know, rinsed him out in a video session and said something to the effect of, you know, that was a, a pretty poor pass. And then in the same breath, he sort of went to Brian O'Driscoll and goes, but, you know, Brian, does a world-class player like yourself drop a ball like that? And everyone sort of went, oh, hang on a sec. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's, he's you know, he's, he's pretty to the point. And, but like I said, you know, I just liked that he – He's achieved so much success without having been a international or anything himself. Mm. Um, and the other guy I really, really like what he does is um, Matt Taylor. Um, yeah, for sure. And and again, you know, similar sort of thing. He's come through um, school footy into a bit of club rugby, Reds Academy, Reds, and then what he's done at Scotland and Glasgow yeah. is just incredible. And and you know, like I said before, even if it's sometimes at the expense of a, a Wallaby defeat, you know, just that mentality that you know he's instilled in. Um, in those players and the way they defend and, um, you know, it really, it says a lot about a team, the way you defend and, you know, everyone you talk to about him just says he's just such a likeable bloke. And, um, I I was lucky enough to actually meet him once, um, when I was teaching in Scotland and, uh, it was just before the Commonwealth games and he, he and a couple of, uh, Glasgow players came in and, and spoke to the kids at school and it was just, just great, you know, chatting to him and, um, like I said, we sort of had a bit of a, a, a mutual mate, uh, my sort of coaching mentor, I guess, Damien Reedy, who had actually coached Matt at Aberdeen. And um, so yeah, it was just just good to someone that's yeah come through as a, as a teacher and gone on to be you know super successful and at the international stage. Um, and and his episode on here was something that I, I really enjoyed listening to as well. Oh, so cool, yeah, yeah. No, he would yeah just and I think that's what came across for me when I was I was stoked just to chat with him and he was you know just just a good bloke, you know, and he just wanted to talk about rugby and was open to sharing. And, you know, I've, I've shot him a few emails back and forth about some stuff uh, uh, after the episode and he's been so open to sharing that. And I just think that's class, you know, for, for someone uh, who's, who's got that, that, you know, profile to, to stay connected with, with the grassroots of the game. So it speaks volumes. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, cool. And what about what about in your local community? Who's uh, who's some of the people kicking around that are doing great work? Um, there's a couple of folks I used to play with back years ago. Um, created this group called the Icons uh, Rugby, and okay. um, it, it started out as just two blokes wanting to put a couple of sevens teams together, and then it sort of evolved into well, you know, why don't we use sevens as a as a platform to give guys an opportunity to for a bit of exposure and, and now it's sort of grown into you know they've got their own gym and training center and you know they do a lot of um, mentoring and um you know strength and conditioning stuff like that um cool. and and brisbane uh has just launched the premier sevens competition so previously the sevens sort of seen in brisbane was there'd be a couple of tournaments and it was nothing really sort of formalized but but now they've and yeah, anyone could sort of enter but now they've formalized with the premier clubs um, you know, four tournaments in a series circuit type thing, and, and the icons are on that circuit now. So right. they're, they're sort of they've developed a really good reputation as being, um, I guess, in the know with sevens and, and sort of what you would call the heavy hitters, I guess. But mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're two guys, Andrew Curtin and, and Manuel Colmenos. They're really passionate about coaching and getting better. And you know, the conversations I've had with them, uh, you know, they go on for hours. And 
And Kurdo, Kurdo's actually, I think he's still there, um, doing a bit of sevens coaching in Russia just okay. recently. And yeah, he's done a couple of other sort of random gigs in Kenya and, and places like that. But um, no, what, what they've done and the opportunities they've given a lot of guys – um, they've been doing it for nearly 10 years now, um, is yeah, is really good. They've had guys go on and play in the Australian Sevens. They've had guys play in the NRL. They've had guys play Super Rugby. Um, and even now when the Australian Sevens might be looking at someone, you know, they'll ring these guys now and say, oh, can we drop this bloke into your team for this tournament? And oh, So, yeah, the cool. icons are, uh, yeah, they're, they're doing some great things. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a good message there too if you, if you, if you want to get stuck in and, you know, advancing coaching, just just build a program and and make it grow from there. That's great. All right, Dan, it's been great chatting with you, and I uh, really appreciate you giving up your time to talk about your work at uh, Brisbane State High, and uh, love what you're doing there. And uh, sounds like you had a great year, and you know, we'll be watching closely to see how uh, next season goes. And thanks for giving up your time. No, nah, thanks very much, Andy. Like I said, you know, I really enjoy every episode and. Yeah, really humbled by the invite. So, um, yeah, really appreciate um, you asking me to come on. So thanks very much. Yeah, no worries, mate. That was a great chat. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.